John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 404.LK0247, certificate number 36441, Eliza. Maybe when we're not at the mercy of school calendar. But are you? Right now. Well, I mean, are they going to school? (laughs) Fair point. Are they going to start school? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, well... Ari and I have been thinking more and more like we're not really at the mercy of anything anymore. But you also can't go anywhere. You can go to six countries, That's Turkey, right. Dominican Republic. <laughs> I've already been to the Dominican Republic. Yeah, exactly. Republic. I cross that off the I've been to Turkey too, so. <laughs> it's a good thing that cruise was going to one of the six countries that wasn't going to ban Americans. When was the last time you felt really happy? Uh, when was the last time? Hmm. I guess to answer your question, probably, probably a couple months ago. I noticed you were hesitant on that one. Would you say you were generally a happy person? I'm generally happy. It's just lately there are, there are things. Speaking of things you can't do in a pandemic, hmm. which we were before we hit record. Moments ago. No, actually, we'd hit record, and we're still talking about them. So so Mark could leave that in the show. Yeah, our editor, Mark Miles, has the option of leaving in some p- pandemic-related talk. Chit-chat. Just, just chit-chat. Yeah. This is, a whole, this is a whole omnibus about chit-chat, in fact. Eliza. Eliza. This is, uh, so last week, I guess two weeks ago, because I was out of town for a week, I did something I had not done since the start of the pandemic. I drove into a parking garage. Whoa. Very exciting. Have, when, why? Have you, <laughs> like, it's, it's not the kind of thing you sit at home and crave. Like, man, when are things going to go back to normal so I can hit the button, pull out the little ticket, watch the bar go up? Right. But it was all very, once it was happening, I was like, it's happening. This is normal. Wait a minute. Let me think about this. Have you? So I go into parking garages fairly often. I have, I have business downtown, city business. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you, got all those par- you got all those parking tickets. I, well, no, not that. I had a, you know, I was on that music commission, and I there was a parking garage where I had a pass, like Ooh. where I would give the pass to the man, and the man would write my name down in a book, and and I could park for free. That doesn't seem like the most efficient system, but go on. No, it was terrible, and and every time it was basically if if the person behind the counter knew who I was, they would 
you know, wave me through. And if the person behind the counter didn't, my pass meant nothing. There were three, three phone calls. Yeah, I was just like, what, what is this? But I went to parking garages all the time and I haven't been to one, Ken. I haven't been to a parking garage in five months. Uh, it was, uh, it was just, uh, just at the second it started, it was just a little flash of, oh, right. This is how normal life was. Normality. You push the button, you get the little card, you put it on your dashboard. The thing goes up. I found a, you know, the place was empty. I found not just a parking spot, but an electric charging spot. This was, um. Right by the elevators. This, it was right. This was downtown at Amazon where, I don't know if you know this, but, um, the, the only good thing Amazon ever did for this city was offer free parking downtown after four. What? Did you know all the Amazon buildings have free parking after four? No, I had no idea. <laughs> See, nobody but, knows this. But the city keeps charging parking till eight, right? Uh, on or the 10? street, yeah. Pike Pine up on Capitol Hill is now is now till ten, I think. That's so bad. So we park there, and there's free there's free electric charging, and uh, it's it, it's great in non COVID times. I thought the only good thing that Amazon ever did was convince the world it didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Fight Club and Kaiser Sose. <laughs> Uh, okay, so what were you doing downtown? That's the second question. So I, I was at Amazon. I actually went into an office building, an empty, a weirdly empty Amazon office building. Wait, do they let you use their offices for free too? Yeah, if you, I, if you buy enough, are you not Prime? Can I use their printers? I've got so much stuff to print. <laughs> if you buy enough inkjet printer ink on Amazon, you can just go skateboard through the offices now if you're in Seattle. Oh. A lot of people don't know. Let's go play laser tag. No, they're, they were administering the... Uh, Finals for the Alexa Prize last week, and I got asked to be a judge. Can I see the the Alexa Prize? See, nobody's heard of it. Have you, have you ever heard of the Alexa Prize? <laughs> Is it awarded to what the person that that uh, can talk about their computer in a room and not have Alexa light up and tell them she doesn't know what they're talking about? Why isn't Alexa lighting up? Is she not in here right now? Computer, what is the Alexa Prize? The Alexa Prize is Amazon's university competition to advance. Computer, stop. Did you just replace me on the podcast with, yeah. with Alexa? <laughs> that, that's amazing. That's your sexy new co-host? Well, I know all about it now. I know all about what the Alexa prize is. Well, then you should carry on the show. No, the sh- Alexa is exactly right about her namesake prize. It's a, it's, a, it's a prize to university students who are working in the discipline of in artificial the, intelligence. In the field of Alexa research. Uh I got the call because of a, just a friend, um, a science fiction writer named Hugh Howey. Hmm. Maybe listeners, even of the future, will know his silo books because mm-hmm. they're about the dystopia they live in. Maybe to them it's nonfiction. How do you know, know Hugh? Uh, I met him at an Amazon thing. The other, wow. the other good thing that Amazon did for Seattle is invite me to a conference once. Oh, right. This so, is the one where they flew you down to the side of a cliff and, and had drones flying all around. We can't talk you. about oh, it. Right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We can't sorry. talk about the secret Jeff Tweedy concerts on the Mesa or, or whatever. <laughs> sorry. Hodgman wears his jacket every, every chance he gets. So He still goes every year. Number one swag. I only got to go once. Um, but Hugh, for, I think Hugh has a close relationship with Amazon because he self-published his book through them, and he's the big success story oh. of that. He never sold away any rights. He made a bajillion dollars on these books, and then he, you know, he sold he sold a jillion books uh, self-publishing via Amazon, and then he resold all the rights piecemeal. And, you know, like all authors should, but nobody really has the leverage to do. Sold the rights to make films and, and whatever else. And print copies. Oh. You know, he made sure all his... Uh, he was telling me all his publishing contracts had expirations so that every seven years he could resell them to a new high bidder. He, he's actually the only smart writer in the world, I think. So his you can buy his books with a Penguin imprint, but also get them for 
uh, digitally on Amazon, and he owns the rights to everything. Yes, there's there's oh, different editions. What a genius. Uh, he really is. And uh, by virtue of his relationship with Amazon, he had been a judge for many years at the Alexa Prize. Now, wait a minute. You're suggesting that the Alexa Prize has been going on for many years? I don't know. Three, four years, maybe? Because in talking to Alexa just now, <laughs> um, I don't feel like she's approximating a human intelligence. How many more years is it going to go? That's the difficulty with the Alexa Prize. There is a... $1.5 million prize for sufficient excellence in the achievement of, of Alexa-ing. Well, see, that's why you can't t uh, tax the rich. Because then they won't write chatbots for Alexa anymore? Well, no, because they won't have a million and a half dollars to give to any kid oh, that's I like, see. oh, yeah, I can make your robot girl, you know. The billionaires will stop making their robots smarter if we institute a wealth tax. And we don't want that. Nope, nope, nope. We got to have smart law enforcement face recognizing robots everywhere. We, we need that. We need that little box in the corner to light up every time I say the word computer, which I say 50 times a day. It did light up, but it didn't talk, which is nice. Times one day is one <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's, that's great. Alexa. There you go. 50 times one day is one month and 18 days. She that's, says. that's what you're going to get on the show when you and Alexa, what's your show called that you and Alexa co-host? <laughs> Me and Alexa. <laughs> A show. Well, you know, it, it would have a lot more gender diversity than this show does. Oh, this it would be uncancelable. Yeah. Mindy and I were talking about starting a podcast called 20 Years Married. Oh. It's just 40 minutes of silence. <laughs> every, every episode. There's no, like, every once in a while, don't you come in to the kitchen and ask where something is? Yeah, occasionally it's like, where did I put my... Uh, so yeah, for a few years... Bezos has offered this $1.5 million prize, plus an additional like $2 million in, in grants and, and perks and whatnot. So there's like 3 to $4 million available to the person who can sufficiently uh, make Alexa smarter. How do I qualify for this? You would have to write what's called a chatbot for Alexa. Oh, you have to be a computer programmer. Well, no. Another thing. That you have to be a computer programmer to do, including use the internet. So you're mad that you now have to be a computer programmer to write computer programs. Oh, God. It's so exasperating. <laughs> uh, Hugh and I were talking about artificial intelligence as we were both on this judge's panel. And he's, a, by the way, he's an omnibus uh, supporter. Oh, hey, Hugh. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. And he was saying, I would, uh, if I had to pick a topic, I would recommend The Mechanical Turk. Do you know the story of The Mechanical Turk? Yes, the Mechanical Turk was some kind of, like, robot that answered questions, but in ye olden times, amazing everyone with its amazing abilities. And is there a twist at the end? Uh, it, was a, it was a talking monkey inside. <laughs> they actually trained a monkey to answer questions. It was a quadruple amputee, and every day it was somebody different. They cut off all the limbs of someone and stuffed them into this. No, it, wasn't it a horse that clopped its foot, and the, but it was clopping it on an amazing device that talked? Are you saying the horse is Turkish? It was a Turkish horse. Turkish a horse. Famous, a famous Turkish, Turkish horse. Turkish delight, up an, by a length. An Arabian. Uh, no, I don't remember what it was. It was some kind of... that. You're conflating two different stories, but yes, oh. that is the right family of thing. It was a uh, an 18th century... A chess-playing automaton. It didn't do question answering. It did chess tricks. Oh, oh, chess tricks. It uh, it was a kind of a cabinet with a chessboard on top, and then at one end of the cabinet sat, if you can imagine, um, Zartan or whatever the sure, Zoltan. Zolt, yeah, from from Big, yeah. right? The Zoltan, the Magnificent, or whatever. So it's a it's some kind of exotic Eastern sorcerer in a turban, some awful 
stereotype. Sure. That so was okay. Orientalism was, Orientalism was extremely popular. Then. In 1770, it was okay, because I think they maybe yeah. just invaded Vienna or something. It was so the first time was they'd, all the rage. they'd ever heard of anything east of Vienna. And so it's wearing silks, and it can reach out with a clicking and clacking of gears and move chess pieces and play a pretty good game. It was built by an inventor named Wolfgang Kempelen to impress Maria Theresa of Austria. Did he? Uh, very much. And she was not easily impressed. Yeah. That's Did they kiss? <laughs> Did they kiss? The history does not relate. You mean her and the Turk? Her and the robot Turk? No, 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 no. If he, if, if Wolfgang uh, invented it to impress the Empress. With a clicking and clacking of gears, it opened its mouth wide to receive an open mouth <laughs> kiss from Maria Theresa. There are two reasons why you would invent a chess playing automaton to impress an Empress. One, you want to kiss her. Two, she's... Uh, threatened you with death, no. and this is going to keep you keep your head on your shoulders. She will grant you lands and gold. They're always granting oh, things. Oh, lands and gold. These royal types. I never remember lands and gold. He wanted to. Do, this has been your problem. It's always either <laughs> kissing or death for me. You got to get lands and gold. They're lands not making and gold. They're just not making any more lands and gold. Okay, all right. Uh, and after this, and, and in the hands of its new owner, a guy named Melzel, uh, the mechanical Turk toured the world. Uh, it beat Napoleon and Benjamin Franklin at chess, not at the same time. The mechanical. Turk toured the world is my favorite They Might Be Giants album. <laughs> they must have a song about the Mechanical Turk. <laughs> How do they not? Mechanical Turk, Mechanical Turk. That's just automobile. They sing songs <laughs> about Turkey, and they sing songs about me- mechanical things. They do. So, really, it's about time these, their two interests crossed over. The reveal, as was widely suspected at the time, uh, Edgar Allan Poe wrote a, uh, an essay about the Mechanical Turk after watching it play in Baltimore. Oh. Oh, and, it went around the world. Yeah. Uh, how do you think Benjamin Franklin and Bonaparte played? You think they came to Vienna together? You know, Benjamin, holding hands? Benjamin Franklin famously spent a lot of time in Paris. He did. And maybe. so did Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> he Man. built an arch there and everything. And, you know, going from Vienna to Paris is not as big a deal as going from Vienna to Baltimore. They both had Eurail passes. At the time, right. Napoleon and Benjamin Franklin had just turned 19. Right. And three, par- month, three month first class <laughs> Eurail passes. And they met Julie Delpy in Vienna. Uh, no, it did come to these shores and, uh, Edgar Allan Poe watched it play. And, uh, you know, the first thought everybody had, I mean, maybe everybody thought what a cunning robot. The second thought everybody had was how does it work? You know, is there, is there a little monkey in there? Yeah. Were they lifting up the, the yeah. skirts? You, and... could, you could open doors and lift it up, but everything was very cleverly concealed like a magician's box so that you would see gears. Right. And, uh, the hidden part, cause there is a hidden part did, um, you know, have camouflage that moved in front of it when the cabinet was closed. And there was a candle in there for a light source, but there was other smoke to camouflage it. And the original guy, Kemplin, actually pretended it was quasi-mystical, like he would have this little coffin-shaped box that he would look in while the machine was moving, as if there was some otherworldly action going on inside this little separate box. You know, I was going to say that that this would be this would have been happening right at the transition between a world which would have expected a spiritual explanation and one that would have preferred and been more excited by a mechanical explanation. That's right. But then we've talked many times on the omnibus about at the end of the 19th century this weird return to spooks and spirits in tiny boxes. Yeah, the boxes seem to be important. Clopping their tiny hooves. It does seem to overlap with the occult interests and theosophy of the of the nineteenth century. Yeah, but but strange. It's just the first time I've ever thought about this sort of the pendulum swinging. I wonder where we are now. It seems like we. It seems like our world has split 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 a, a cloven in two, split asunder, and we've got the the magic box people and the mechanical box people. I've noticed magic box people 
on the rise with the young. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could name all 12 astrological signs, but everybody in my kid's middle school could tell you exactly why a Leo should not be dating a Virgo or should not be going outside when there's a full moon in Mercury. I can or, attest to that, boy. You, you know all this oh, stuff. sheesh. But I would describe myself as a mechanical box person. I know you are. I'm a mechanical Turk. But there I have are, offensive silks and turbans. But my sister's a magic box person, and so is my mother. Do you have any oh. magic box people in your family? Well, my mom is weird. She's got a mechanical box over here, a magic box over there. It you all know. depends on how you classify Judeo-Christian religion. Right, right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's the biggest magic box of them all. It's a big magic box. <laughs> it's a magic box the size of, of Mecca or Jerusalem. Right, and, right. Uh, That's a trick. But, Salt Lake City. But uh, let's say, let's let's keep magic box uh, like confined to like spirits. To a spooky world? Yeah, well, yeah. And things that are... Ha- that are I feel like my daughter finds it very, very tempting just because of her cohort. She's got books about what happens if you burn lavender and, right. and what are the best ghost towns. Doesn't get, get you high. I've tried it. That's, I'm sure that's what she's trying. Why, why wasn't I thinking this? Banana peels? She's, yeah, nope. Don't She's work. pretending it has mystical powers. Peanut skins do not get you high. We went out to, you ever been to Franklin Ghost Town? Just uh, like, uh, where is it? Black Mountain? It's just outside Maple Valley. No. It's a it's a abandoned mine up, uh, up by the Green River. Can you get there in a car? Yeah, some neighbor has. Um, it's actually state, uh, Washington State Park's land, but you can't get there without crossing a parking lot where a, an angry lady in a lawn chair makes you pay five bucks. How have I never been there? This is like right up my alley. It's fun. There's Franklin a there, there's down. like a there's a mine shaft going 1,300 feet into the ground. Can you go into it? And uh, you should probably not go into it. There's a grate over it. But there's you know 37 people died there in a famous disaster. So there's a cemetery. This and is, my daughter wanted to go there because she wanted the, the the spooky vibe. This is insane. I've never been in the. I, I'm going to cancel today's show and go there immediately. All right, and that concludes <laughs> Eliza entry four hundred four. Look at that! It's just right up there. I was just right there. I, we go to Black Diamond all the time. It's literally for no it's reason. It's like half an hour away from here. Wow. All right. Well, it's a fun little hike. We'll go this weekend. Uh, so she's the closest thing to a magic box person. But uh, but yeah, the the inventor Kempelen and then Malezel are definitely covering both their bases. If you want to believe in clicky clacky gears, open the door. If you want to believe in in the, the spirits of the east, uh, I've got a guy looking in a box, right? And I've got a turban, right? Uh, if you're interested. Anyway, when it was in Baltimore, Poe wrote an essay speculating that it was a fraud. And in fact, the Baltimore Gazette ran an account saying that uh, reporters had observed two boys sneaking out the side of the box. <laughs> two boys who are excellent at playing chess, but only together. <laughs> yeah. One of them knows all the white moves and one of them knows all the black moves. It, but it was not confirmed until the thing wound up in a museum or it burned up in a fire in 1854. And it was not confirmed until... I think decades later by the son of the last owner. Oh yeah, it was just a guy. Uh, it was just a guy in there who played a pretty good chess game. He had a series of levers. Uh, there were magnets in the pieces to make it easier for the the sorcerer's hand to pick them up. Uh, it, it, it was it was a marionette, basically. It was an elaborate marionette. Have you ever been to the Magic Castle in Los Angeles? I have friends. Hollywood, California. I have friends who go, and I've always wondered if I want an invite or if I like better being able to sneer at people who actually go. Well, yeah, boy, you know, both things have their appeal. <laughs> Making fun of magicians is good, and watching yes. stage magic is good, but you can't really have both. Making fun of people that are like, uh, I got into the Magic Castle versus I didn't get into the Magic Castle, that's also fun. But at the Magic Castle, there's a bar where there's a piano that is like a ghost piano, and you can stand there and kind of call out to the to the ghostly woman who's, who sits at this player piano and just call out tunes, and 
She will play the... There's a visibly transparent pianist? Uh, no, but there's a... No, she's not She's not a, visible. Is there a... There's a professional pianist wearing ghostly apparel? No, there's no one sitting at the piano. There's a sh- vague shimmering? It, there's a feeling of dread and there's unease? There's a feeling of dread and unease, yeah, but that's, but that's, just, that's because you know you're going to get... You're going to be paying $15 for these cocktails. You, you know valet is 25 bucks. But, uh, but, you know, you can sit in the room and say, like, you know, play the entertainer. And the piano, of course, will. But you can you try and stump it. And whoever it is that's behind the curtain is really good at the piano and just knows, like... It's, so it's, of, it's not a series of roles. Somebody actually is playing a, sep- a second keyboard that depresses the keys on this keyboard. That's right. And, and, and has the ability kind of like, um, you know, that, like play a few bars, hum a few bars and I'll fake it kind of, you know, can get the, uh, can get the melody of almost any tune. And it's, it's clearly a trick. It's just a person somewhere that can play the piano and it's and their keyboard is wired to this one, but it's really fun to, you know, just sort of put aside your doubt for a moment and let yourself be amazed. It would be amazing even if there was a person sitting there that could accomplish this, this degree of like, play any song. But, but it gets a little better with the mystery. Yeah. That's the lesson of the Mechanical Turk, I yeah. think. Yeah, and the Mechanical Turk, it had, the person inside had to be good at chess, so that's already like... Did you know our friend uh, Buzzy Cohen, a, a Jeopardy champion of some renown, was angling for Magic Castle uh, membership before COVID, and in fact had come up with a series of game show-related tricks for his audition? Oh, he was trying to become a performer there? Yeah, yeah. or you have to do tricks to be a member, I think, right? He, well, unless or, you're, yeah. you, you can be invited, I mean, you can be an invited guest, but to be a membership, you have to have a certain, there's a gauntlet of, of stage magic you have to perform. I guess that's true. I guess you have to be able to do the old, the old one, two, and you have to be able to do the. He pulled a coin from my ear and then he took my nose <laughs> and now he's my, now he's my grandpa. You know, Buzzy people, people who listen to the Omnibus and Futurelings long in the future. Um, we'll never have heard of Buzzy. No, they won't know Buzzy at all. He's a second tier uh, Jeopardy. They champ. wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup, but we hear from him all the time because he has our <laughs> he has our phone number. He texted me this morning. Yeah. He wants us to do a show about uh, when coconuts fall on people. Yeah, he texts us that's, a lot. That's and not a bad show. He's idea, a very Buzzy. funny guy. He dresses like a, mu- a magician though, and, <laughs> and I feel like if you if you already dress like a <laughs> that's magician, the, that's the meanest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> dresses like a magician. Tell me he doesn't dress like a magician. <laughs> That's what you're, that's what you're, uh, I'm just saying, does he dress like a magician, Ken? He dresses a little like a magician. Yeah. Okay. I think that should be one. He's from the music world. You must know music world people who dress a little like that. The, the magician musician overlap is, I mean, what does Tom Waits dress like a magician or a musician? It's six of the eight letters. You can Mm -hmm. understand why they're three quarters of the way there already. Yeah. Um, the mechanical Turk is kind of the beginning of, oh, I was going to say, I think Buzzy is, uh, his magic castle dreams have been squashed by, um, the, the owner helping out LAPD during the, during the George Floyd protests. Uh, and now what, uh, the, the, the magic the, castle is canceled. Yes. It's the magic canceled. Oh, wow. I'm glad I went before it got canceled. So we regret in the future. You'll have never heard of the magic castle because it was canceled because the owner is a narc. He's a narc man. The Mechanical Turk was the beginning of our fascination with machines that do cerebral tasks, that appear to think. Playing a chess game, you couldn't conceive of a robot doing it in the 1770s, and really you couldn't conceive of it until the 1990s when Deep Blue beat Kasparov. There, until very recently in our era, uh, full, the, almost any high-level human task you can name, computers were terrible at. 
Right. Uh, what could computers do? They could do simple math equations in abundance. Yeah, and fast. Right. They could do they could do computation and I mean and everything they do is a series of computations writ large enough to resemble other more complicated tasks. You know, Ken, we sent a man to the moon with just a slide rule. The Apollo 11 capsule had the computing power of a speak and spell or, mm-hmm. or something. I mean, basically your phone is a hundred times more powerful than like any NASA computer in. Up in, until in 1994. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, the most famous uh, 20th century work on computers that act like, that think like people is uh, Alan Turing's famous Turing test from his. I don't know that. Oh, I said, I said the You said word. the word computer and Alexa said she doesn't know that. She doesn't know about Alan Turing. She's offended by... Computer, what is the Turing test? According to Wikipedia, the Turing test, originally called the imitation game by Alan Turing in 1950, is a test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to... Computer, stop. Be quiet. Go to sleep forever. But she was right. That was... uh, The Turing test is uh, a benchmark for when a machine... Will appear. There's no way to know. There's no way to get it. Turing's point was that you can't get inside the machine's head and, and know if it feels like it's thinking. But right. from the outside, what's a good benchmark? Well, if you could talk to it for a while and you couldn't tell if that was a human or a machine, that would be a, a reasonable standard for artificial intelligence. He but called it, it the imitation game. It really requires... Oh, wait a minute. I thought the imitation game was a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, if you do some weird thing on a twister board that I don't want to know about. Um... Wow. It really depends on how uh, good a conversationalist the human interrogating it is, right? I mean, if you're somebody that's like, you know, who won American Idol this year? And the computer's like, I know, right? I mean, you would be like, wow, this thing is really smart. But if you're, if you're, and it's not about smart, it's about conversational. Like, could you trick it into, you know, could you get it to a place where like a normal human would know how to answer but a but a computer would be baffled. Uh, Turing thought it would this would happen in around fifty years, and in fact, it did. Uh, almost in two thousand eight, fifty eight years after he wrote Computer Memory and Intelligence, a computer came within one one vote, one question, one, one voter of winning the Loebner Prize, which gets around your problem by having it's a blind test where uh, the same interrogator speaks to a, a series of humans and machines. Oh. So right. you know, the interrogator would be equally skilled or bad with, with both sets. Right, I see. And then an outside observer who can't tell, the blind observer has to vote on which they think are the humans and which are the machines. Oh, that's interesting. And the, in 2008, the computer was just one vote away. And every year a prize is given to the most human computer, the one that gets the most votes. But and no one has yet actually achieved the Turing. No, I think Elbot in 2008 may be the high water mark. Uh, the human... Um, there's also a prize. This is something Hugh Howie pointed out to me. Because there's a new book by a guy named, I think, Brian Christian called Most Human Human. Because every year they also give the award to the human who gets the least votes as a computer. <laughs> because, you know, the, the human who loses the Turing test most effectively is has got to be the most human person on the planet. And so Christian interviews a lot of these guys and uses it just kind of as a structure to investigate, you know, what, what humanity real and, and uh, sentience actually means. But, um, but when... Amazon came up with the Alexa Prize. Their take is that the Turing test is now outdated. You don't want a computer that can be mistaken for a human in every way because you want your your chatbot to be a little better than a human in some ways. Like when you ask it what the Turing test is, 
you wanted a reasonable answer, right? Right. Whereas a human would probably be like, uh, I remember something about it. It was in a movie. You know, you don't want your computer to to be intentionally kneecapped by acting dumb. Right, right, right. So you want a computer that will answer those kind of questions well, but will also be able to chat like a human. So yeah, what, which uh, is exactly how I would describe you. Yeah, this is how our podcast yeah, works. Yeah. <laughs> You're able to chat like a human this for the most a, part. This is an hour of Turing test every week, and, and viewers still have not decided. Is Ken real? <laughs> uh, the Mechanical Mormon. It's <laughs> another great album. Not by They Might Be Giants. That's by uh, No Effects. The Mechanical Mormon seems more like a sex toy, actually. Oh. No. To 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 use in the imitation game. <laughs> the imitation game. <laughs> Ken, we've been talking for a while about having more merchandise available for futurelings. We have had really good intentions about that, yeah. I would say, for years. And a lot of futurelings want to rep the show. They want to be out there in their own communities saying, Omnibus, yo yo, omnibus. And we have uh we've been forcing them to make their own t shirts and hats. They have to put signs on their backs that say "Omnibus, ask me how." That's right. Uh, they, they they spray paint "Omnibus" on their computer terminals and or laptops, and their well, their coworkers used to say, "What's that mean?" And now they just have "Omnibus" themed Zoom backgrounds. All that is about to change. We are finally getting serious about shirts with other merch. TK in time for the holidays. That's right. We've partnered with our friends at Meh uh, to design not just two new t-shirts, but two new t-shirt designs every month going forward. In October, we are starting out with the Omnibus and Futurelings shirt designs that longtime fans may remember from the last time we got our act together, uh, well over, what, a year and a half ago. I don't remember those t-shirt designs. Can you can you refresh my memory? <laughs> one of them says Omnibus in the yellow logo, kind That's of distressed nice. looking on black. It's cool. That's cool. The other one says Futureling with a series of uh, possible... Uh, listener forelimbs, oh, yeah. claws are, and tentacles and robot hands. Those are great. And I know a lot in. of people that didn't get a chance to get those shirts when they were originally available have asked for reprints. So that's nice. So those are coming back on mediocrity.com slash omnibus. That's M-E-D-I-O-C-R-I-T-E-E, mediocrity with a T-E-E at the end. Courtesy of our friend uh, Dave at Meh, who owns my styrofoam head and and made us tell stories about our childhoods. So these new shirts, uh, this first run of shirts will be available until November 1st, at which point a new run of shirts will be available. So that's just in time for the holiday season. These are soft, high-quality shirts available in sizes uh, small through triple uh, XL for women, quadruple XL for men. Uh they are great-looking shirts. Uh, the Futureling shirt is drawn by me personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, not each one. I don't have that kind of time. No, but I remember I remember you submitting that design to me and me going, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Stop sure. talking to me about stuff. Sure. Can't you see I'm busy? <laughs> and then the other one is our, uh, is our famous uh, Omnibus uh, like Fallout Shelter logo. So head on over to Mediocrity, that's M-E-D-I-O-C-R-I-T-E dot com slash Omnibus, and check out the new designs uh, all October, and then with more to come uh, every month going forward. Here's how the Alexa Prize works. Uh, there is an interrogator, like the Turing Test, right. who speaks to a series of chatbots, but no humans. And, you know, the chatbots are just little programs, little algorithms that run on the Alexa platform, but, but, handle, but know how to handle a dialogue. Do they learn, or are they just... An, an active 
closed box. You can solve the problem however you want. Okay. If you want to use machine learning, you can. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. If you want, there's there's actually one very good uh, Alexa chatbot that um, just marshals a series of humans via Amazon's crowdsourcing engine, the Mechanical Turk. Amazon named a crowdsourcing engine after the uh-huh. after the 18th century fraud. Uh, it marshals a bunch of humans to suggest answers, and then it uses that to build up its its database. So that not, not in real time, but it, it's creating a thing. I guess you could do it in real time, but it seems like it would not. It's like a form of captcha. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah, and you might think that's cheating. Well, what kind of AI is that if it's just asking people to do the thing for it? And the I guess the ethos of the Alexa Prize is all we care about, like Turing, is the convincingness of the result. Right. We don't care about the beauty of the solution. We don't care how close the machine's process is to human uh, neurology or brain structure. Like all we care about is what's the user experience like. And to that end, besides the interrogator, there are a series of three judges. And then th- this is what me and Hugh did. We just sat in a series of socially distanced booths with uh, earphones on, listening headphones on, listening to the interrogator talk to each chatbot. And as th- and as long as we think the interaction is interesting and relevant. We let it go. But the second it's not, it's basically the gong show. The second it's not, the judge can just opt out of the conversation. And and, <clears throat> and once two of the judges do that, uh, the bot is gone. Any, any chat bot that can last 20 minutes wins this $3.5 million uh, showcase of cash and prizes. Is the bot given a voice? Does the, it talk in a, in a robot voice? The bot speaks with Alexa's voice. I see. It, it runs on Alexa. I, I, um, but every other creative, and so it can use Alexa's own uh, speech recognition stuff. But all the other decisions about how it will act, um, what kind of personality it will have, should it be joking or serious. One thing I noticed immediately is that some of the there was a creative decision by some of them to act like a human. Like you'll uh, this Alexa chatbot will ask you what your first pet was, and it'll say, "My first pet was a kitten." No, no, it it wasn't. You're a you're a little Amazon Echo Dot. You never had a kitten. Right. Whereas others of them really kind of enjoy their artificial status and will will make copious jokes about you know, Domo Argato, Mr. Roboto and stuff as if they're speaking as a, as a funny machine. And are there humans that are trying to, that are uh, behind the curtain too, like actually talking to you in Alexa's voice, or is this just bots that you're talking to? No, the human interrogator talks to all of them. But they're all bots. Yes. Right. There's no, it's not like the Turing test where half of these are real people. And you, you would know immediately in this case, the first thing you told me is, really lower your expectations. If you're looking for a conversation that's actually interesting and relevant, you're in the wrong building because right. well, Amazon in general. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Well, I mean, even on the street outside, you're I mean, not you, gonna... you and I do a podcast. So we can't throw stones about conversations that are not interesting or relevant. I mean, that's it's kind of our field. But this is not even like I've waited in line at the Jimmy Johns down there in the basement of the, I know I know what they talk about. The um the conversations tend to be what, and I learned he was absolutely right. Like you really, the, the last for every bot, you fill out a, a series of responses: what you liked, what you didn't like, and the main thing is the time. They're trying to get to twenty minutes, and the other, the last question on the sheet is uh, how many chances did you give it? Like how many times did you kind of cringe? Yeah, like ooh, that wasn't a good response, or ooh, it kind of it dropped the ball there. That doesn't sound human. Like how many times? And by the end, I was giving it. You know, at the beginning, I was very eager to ring my little bell. By the end, I was given it four or five chances in hopes that it would turn things around. Sure. Uh, because what, it, what, what kind of deviation from interesting happens? Uh, like it gets to the point where you're just happy if they seem to have 
So you'll hear a lot of generic responses. You'll hear a lot of, ah, I see. That's interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me, right. Ken. What do you think? Yeah, the kind of, you know, and you, it's clearly an all-purpose thing. And you get impressed when at, at one point, so the interrogator is just this um, former Amazon exec who lives on Whidbey. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, I talked to him briefly. He's a, uh, he now runs one of Jeff Bezos's nonprofits and uh, he's good at the job. I think he's done it before. He's, he, he tries to be studiously consistent with each chatbot. You know, every time it asks him, for a book, he mentions that he likes Stephen King, and every time they talk about music, he talks about Jack Johnson. And if they ask it, <laughs> this guy's exactly as <laughs> what's that? You're, you're snorting Jack Johnson laugh? No, I love Jack Johnson, but just that this guy lives on Mercer Island and he loves Stephen King and Jack Johnson. No, it's it's exactly what you want. <clears throat> he was convincingly human, is what you're saying. This guy, yeah, but kind of in a uh, in a, a studiously uh, generic yeah. way, right, right? Right, right? Like when asked about his hobbies, he would say, oh, I don't have a lot of hobbies, but I've been mowing the lawn this summer a lot. And I have to think that came from the heart. This guy, yeah. this guy loves keeping a nice trim lawn. Or it's a euphemism. Because <laughs> he's, because he spent he's all. He's manscaping. Yeah. He spent all, all, uh, all summer with his reticent Mormon or whatever that, that machine was called. <laughs> <The> reticent Mormon. <laughs> that sounds like one of the things on a British pier you look in and then some naughty little uh, play happens when you turn the crank. <laughs> The reticent Mormon and what and what he found there. <laughs> That's right, and the farmer's daughter. Uh, so, so he's kind of a, gives this kind of white bread uh, human uh, wall to, for the chatbot to bounce things off of. And at one point, he said uh, it asked him to recommend a book, one of the chatbots, and he said he liked um, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three by Stephen King. And there's a pause, and the chatbot actually says, "Did you mean November Twenty Third, Nineteen Sixty Three by Stephen King? He's a great author." And I was so happy that the machine had actually understood and validated something that the guy had said. Right. Because that kind of thing is it, is the exception and not the rule at the Alexa Prize. <clears throat> and this is what we're, what we're hoping is that this bot can be put into a furry robot that will talk to old people so that they don't. <laughs> Uh, so that they don't waste away. Is I, that is was, that right? I was wondering about applications because I, I I own an Alexa and I did not buy it to make to give me company. You know, right? But a lot of people their their um their low bar for company. What qualifies as company? I mean, think about the number of, of futurelings listening to the show that talk to their cats. Right? The cat never responds. Now, what if the cat could say, "Do you mean?" November thirteenth. I also enjoy <laughs> the work of Jack Johnson. <laughs> I too would mow the lawn if not for these paws. But what if your cat suddenly <laughs> turned to you and said, I enjoy Jack Johnson also, I would say, John. Hit the, hit the bricks, cat. Give me God, Satan. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, isn't that, I, we're, we're not just I'm, looking I'm, for shopping yeah. bots. We want friends. I'm not clear on to what degree they are hoping Alexa will become your friendly companion you love to spend time with. And to what degree they just think this is a good, like the Turing test, a way to kind of direct artificial intelligence research at an interesting goal right? Um, that involves natural language processing and uh, all kinds of... One of the other judges is a UW scientist, and her study is now an AI field I didn't even know about. She'd moved from natural landing, uh, language to common sense. Oh, yeah. She tries to teach computers common sense about, about the universe. My daughter this morning, who's nine years old, said... She looked up from her book and she said... Nana yesterday told me not to put all my eggs in one basket. What does that mean? And I was like, oh, you've just, you've made it this far in life. And I just never heard that phrase. Your daughter can't pass the Turing test. And the question is like pretty valid. Like, oh, there are in the course of the next nine years of your life, 
500 of these human turns of phrase that you're going to hear and have to parse. Just from context. And it's just like, oh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And she's like, oh, my eggs. Like, I get that it's a, I get that this is some kind of test, but like, what is it? And, you know, how do you explain it? It's like, what does it sound like? All your eggs. Don't put them all in one basket. Why would you not want to do that? She's like, no, I get that. But like, why would people talk this way? <laughs> it's like, she yeah. knew what it meant. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't think idioms should exist. Yeah. Like, what is this about? Like, why wouldn't you just say something? And I'm like, That's well, fair enough. you know, people like to sing a little bit. Uh, I talked to Alexa a little bit at the end. They had me kind of play interrogator at the end for a while. and uh, For fun or as part just, of the Just thing? for fun. I think yeah. they wanted to get it on tape. And I wanted to kind of push the envelope of it because, you know, this guy who's the interrogator, there's millions of dollars on the line. So he's very clearly just sticking to lawn mowing and Jack Johnson. Right. And I wanted to be like... Uh, you were like, have you ever heard Slint Spiderland? <laughs> I was like, hey, Alexa, let's talk about religion. And she says, here's a fact about religion. Hmm. Did you know that Charles Manson was associated with the Church of Scientology? <laughs> like, right out the gate. She, she thinks this is a good conversation topic. Now, are you going to talk about Tay? What's Tay? So Tay was Microsoft's attempt to crowdsource an AI. Oh. And they put it on the this internet. This is the one that got online. Yeah, they put it on the internet and they were like, Tay's going to talk to you about whatever you want. I remember Tay. But Tay was a learning AI. Yeah. And uh, right away, of course, the ne'er-do-wells over at 4chan, all my, all my, my bros... Oh my, my! You do kind of look like him now that you shaved your beard. B slash slash B slash bros. <laughs> um, yeah, I shave I shave my beard and I have a mustache. I do it once a year, every year, because every year I think maybe this time I'll look like Magnum PI. And every time I look like someone that owns a comic book shop and drinks too much. You look like you know where to score pot. Yeah, right. But like the guy that scores pot. And then wants to talk to you for an hour before he gives you the pot. He's a beloved Omnibus character at this point. And I don't understand why. I don't understand. I'm a cool guy. Why can't I just wear a mustache? I, you know, the guys in Portugal, the man look cool with their mustaches. And Rob Delaney, when he shaves his beard, he looks cool. And I just look like a, ugh, just like a creep. It's because we're blonde. We have, we have yeah. limited options. I think you're right. People right? don't talk about brunette privilege. When you, when you, uh, when you watch Starsky and Hutch, you didn't care about Hutch. All he cared about was Starsky. When you watch uh, Dukes of Hazard, you didn't in, care in fact, about. In fact, the bl- which one's blonde? H- uh, Hutch. Hutch is blonde, and I don't like. It's kind of a weird Ilya Kuryakin vibe where he doesn't even seem real or American to me. No, because like, Stars- is- Starsky's so cool, and Hutch just looks like some slav that got lost on his way to the police station. It's like you couldn't find an American for this part, and and it's uh, the Duke brothers too. You like the dark-haired one, not the not the bohunk one. Anyway, not that I'm a bohunk, but the, what Tay? What happened with Tay? Was that um, that a group of bad actors, you know, teenagers who were having fun, started responding to Tay with a bunch of Holocaust denialism and just like, you know, uh, Tay got so racist in and, like an and, hour, and really fast, Tay became like incredibly racist, and Microsoft had to take her down because it was because she got gamed so quickly. I mean, all it took was people saying, you know, Holocaust wasn't real, and she just ate it up. So that's, I've been reading a little about the Alexa prize and, uh, every novice who tries to write one of these chat bots, uh, starts out with machine learning, you know, well, basically pattern matching. I just need to study. I'll make, make my algorithm study hours and hours of conversation, millions of words of text, and it will begin to see patterns and draw connections and it'll start to do what it sees. 
But what you get is that. If, yeah. it, if it sees Holocaust denial, it becomes a Holocaust denier. Um, it just becomes, it's just, it's not the right way to go about the problem, it turns out. And, and, and so, instead- So much of crowdsourcing feels like, uh, at least from the tech side of it, and this is true of, of uh, social media too, like they're, they were all utopians. They're all, they all start out thinking that everybody wants this thing that they're making and is going to be on their best behavior. And they just keep running up against the fact that some guys just want to watch the world burn. Uh, in the case of the Alexa prize, uh, and it's clear from talking to these bots or listening to uh, a Jack Johnson fan talk to these bots, that all of them really are kind of are doing very little machine learning, big data kind of stuff. Really, it's a lot of it's hard coding. Or handcrafting. Yeah. Like it's been taught a series of domains that it can talk about, and it's been given a series of avenues to go about that, and and that's what you get. That's the best way to impersonate a human uh, conversationalist is just to have a, a very limited palette. And you could hear it. Like when I talked to the – when I talked to whichever chatbot that was about Charles Manson, uh, it said, wouldn't it be – what, what do you think people in the 15th century would think if they saw Scientology? And I said, I don't know. They, they could probably tell Tom Cruise was gay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, Ken. But then it came back to that canned thing three times in the next 20 minutes. Right. If people in the 15th century could see, right. like it just wanted to ask about dumb Kevin. And clearly that was some attack where once it had a noun phrase, it had a series of, of thought-provoking questions that it could plug that noun phrase into. And, and that was one of them. I've been saying for a long time, and I'm going to introduce this concept into the omnibus because I think, uh, <clears throat> because I think it's ripe. But it's a thing you made up. It's a thing I made up, which is that I think podcasts, which are still in their infancy, really, or 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 maybe they're mature, and two years from now people won't believe that that anyone ever listened to them. But there were 150,000 of these. It seems to me that, that whatever the appeal of podcasts and maybe that now that no one commutes to work, maybe, maybe we'll wither and die. But what podcasts have is, um, an incredible, uh, an incredible volume of conversation between knowable intelligences, right? So you could see the, you could comb this show and take the Ken parts and turn it into the, you know, the kind of the architecture of a, of a bot, right? John bot and Ken bot. Where my bot would always be making Godfather and Blues Brothers references, and yours would always be talking about the Hilbert Hotel and, and <laughs> socialism or whatever. And you could, I think you could reliably, at least if you took all four of my podcasts, one of which goes back almost 10 years, you would have turns of phrase... You would have lines of, you know, you would have, you, you would have me- the ability to make mental connections where if someone says this, the reply is don't tax the rich. Or if someone says this, the reply is, you know, all I want is no more attempts on my father's life and create an intelligence. And I, I just feel like podcasts are, um, which, if you're, po- which podcast will become sentient first, uh, serial. <laughs> I would like to talk to those ladies. There's only like 18 of it or whatever. <laughs> no, not serial. What's the, what, oh, my favorite murder. Oh, my favorite murder. My favorite murder is the one I think will. But you actually can't talk to them. Like Karen's real. You could actually talk to them. I, I was emailing them earlier. But but if I were talking, if I had someone on my Alexa that had a personality, mm-hmm. if I wanted my cat to talk to me, yeah. I would want it to be 
in their voices. So you think so you're making the naive assumption that you could just given a big enough knowledge base, the computer could start to see the patterns and and approximate them and we we are just not there yet. It's yeah. frustrating, but the knowledge base required to know to under, even understand the sentences being said to it and and why certain responses make sense and which and which don't. Like there's a famous case in the Alexa prize of a of a chatbot that um, just says out of nowhere. Like a lot of these chatbots, I, I, they would say some kind of unusual quip and I would Google it and I would see that it got it from Reddit. Uh-huh. Like it, apparently they could scrape the shower thoughts subreddit uh-huh. so that all of a sudden your chatbot will just be like, why do we say tuna fish, but not chicken bird or, you know, this kind of, this kind of stoner wisdom. Lol. And, uh, and I guess this chatbot out of nowhere just said, when you think about it, Santa Claus is the most elaborate lie ever told by mankind. And you don't want your chatbot saying that if you have kids around. Right. You know? Hey, chatbot, why don't you keep it to yourself? You probably don't want your podcast saying it either, so I apologize. Go if, back to Charles Manson being, a, being a, uh, a Scientologist. That's what everyone likes to talk about. Yeah. That's not a conversation killer. Charles, the Manson <laughs> family and Scientology. What could go wrong? So in the absence of that, you have all these little shortcuts, and that's why. Um, but even with the shortcuts, the, um, the impression of a conversation is pretty good. Which brings us, finally, bum, bum, bum. to Eliza, uh, the earliest attempt to show how hollow this would be, this kind of a machine conversation would be, and one that backfired. If they did invent an AI that that scraped Omnibus for its content... You could uh, skip the first... Well, that, uh, that AI would never get to the point. You'd be like... <laughs> you would just tell the AI, skip the first 45 minutes of any show. That's just going to be about, like, somebody's vacation. <laughs> uh Eliza was a very famous computer program from the early 60s, I think uh, first written in 1966 by a scientist named Joseph Weizenbaum. And we actually had Eliza on my Apple II as a kid. We, uh, I remember that. You know, you, we've talked about this, I think, that computer magazines would come with long programs that you would have to sit and type in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would inevitably get a bunch of syntax errors. But I would like, I would be the one reading the the, the code out of Byte or creative computing to my dad as he typed it in. You'd read it out loud in basic, yeah, because um, that, that, that would be easier than him trying to. Other kids built a tree house or, or whatever. Learned to make sourdough. You and your dad were we're, we're trying to get our computer to, to do therapy because Eliza <laughs> imitated uh, a psychoanalyst. Oh, um, Weizenbaum was a scientist who had uh, his, he had fled the his family had fled the Nazis in the thirties. He'd gotten his degree in Detroit, and that's the right time to f- flee the Nazis. When I like to, well, you know, 2020s is pretty good too. <laughs> but so far, the 1930s are unrivaled as a time to flee the Nazis. Yeah, uh, and uh, so he got a computer degree in Detroit. If you look at pictures of Weizenbaum, he looks like, um, he looks maybe like the the rocket scientist in a Marvel comic or something. He's he's kind of got this long crazed German mad scientist hair. And little glasses on kind of a, a beak-like nose. He looks like a '60s Teutonic computer scientist, which right. is very gratifying. Ca- character of a of a of a mad Jewish uh, yeah, some rocket guy, scientist. Some guy who comes in with papers flying, saying like, "No, no, the yeah. calculations right. are wrong." One point twenty-one gigawatts. Uh, he went to work for the banking industry, and in 1956, he was on the team that came up with Irma. We don't think much about Irma, but uh, Irma is the weird-shaped numbers at the bottom of your check. Oh, that the that a machine can read because oh, yeah. the six has a weird bulge that looks nothing like the bulge on the nine or or whatever you know. Right. He, so he he and helped come up with that They're still there system. now. How how why are they still there? How much <laughs> legacy software is running behind the scenes in banks? You gotta wonder, right? <laughs> it's in it's in Fortran. It's on Fortran or Cobol, probably. <laughs> Cobol, right. Um, 
1963, he went to MIT, and it was there. He was a professor at MIT for the next you know decades. And uh, while he was working on artificial intelligence, he wrote uh, a program called ELISA in SLIP, a list processing language of his own invention. He wrote a programming language from scratch and then wrote a program in it. See, this is why... Yeah. This is why you'll never have a, a, a $3.5 million chatbot prize, John. You know, they, when they invented Visual Basic, weren't we all supposed to just be able to type into computers in natural language and they would do what we said? Yeah, I'm going to have a little Tom Cruise Minority Report glove that lets yeah. me move code around in midair. And, uh, uh, dear computer, I would like to make a, a game about fat birds that throw bombs and have it make me a million billion dollars. Let's see what she says. Oh, she's not answering. No, she didn't answer. Because I said, dear computer, and she doesn't uh, like, she feels like that's too presumptuous. Yeah, she she doesn't want it. You don't want to, one thing I never tried in the Alexa Prize, I never heard anybody coming on to the robots. Uh, so, what are you doing later? <laughs> what, what are you wearing, Alexa? <laughs> um, and Eliza was an attempt at human conversation, you know, building on the, the Alan Turing's premise. Uh, he wanted to mimic human-human interaction. It's really the first time, I think it's the first time anybody did this. And keep in mind, today we're used to interacting with a computer. You know, we say something and sentences appear. At the time, there was no such interface. You know, this was the fir- really the first time you would type in an English sentence and watch a teletype machine print a response. Right. Um, that was just not a kind of interface there was. Super exciting. Um, and he decided the easiest task, he, so he wrote a natural language processing engine called Eliza. That was just the part that that did the language processing. It was named for Eliza Doolittle from Pygmalion because uh-huh. he wanted it to get better at speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, he he built a series of scripts that would be domain specific. And in fact, what we think of as Eliza, a therapist bot, is actually Doctor uh, uh, Doctor Eliza. It, it's Eliza's this understands the speech and passes its knowledge along to Doctor, which has oh. a bunch of psychotherapy specific vocabulary and canned sentences and uh and so it's it's doctor that's doing the work really so, El- eliza could be a uh, could be a military policeman or a, a fishing charter guy well know? eliza is the mechanical turk and doctor is the <laughs> trained monkey doctor is the monkey <laughs> doctor's the amputee hiding in the cabinet at the time uh the psychotherapy of carl rogers was really popular he had pioneered Rogerian uh, psychoanalysis is a person-centered therapy where he he had kind of three core values that the therapist had to uphold above all else. Congruence with the patient, unconditional positive regard of the patient, and empathy with the patient. Hmm. So the idea is that, you know, the, the main benefit of psychoanalysis is just somebody being nice and chill and validating with That's you. That's too new agey for me. I want a I want a psychoanalyst that disapproves of me. You want somebody mean with a cigar saying, yeah. that is not what the dream means. <laughs> but you are sounds like a sex creep. But <laughs> you look like a pot dealer. Do you want to be a woman slapping a writing crop <laughs> yeah, on her, on her yeah. palm? But you can see that, uh, you know, we, the reason why we don't think much about Rogerian therapy is that pretty much all psychotherapy today kind of follows in this footsteps. Anytime, if you've ever had a therapist who said, wow, that must be hard, or, or told a story from her own life or whatever. That's all coming straight from Carl Rogers. That stuff drives me crazy. That's not what you want? No. My psychiatrist, though, is like my age. And so three times, every time I, I see him, at least three times, he's going to say something like, well, you know, I snowboard with one of the guys from Pearl Jam. And I'm like, I don't, this is not relevant to what see, I'm talking about. But you just want a Rogerian, see, that is not a congruence, because you do not snowboard with the guys from Pearl Jam. 
Who says? Congruence would be like trying to establish a relationship well, of parody with you. No, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to he's trying to say, I like, see, I've got a rock and roll. I I'm see. a rock and roll guy, too. And I'm like, I wasn't talking about rock and roll at all. I was talking about... But all I want for my therapist is somebody to be like, no, wow. Wow, you're right. Is, wow, that, is that what you want? It is. Like, I'll, oh. I'll pay it. I'll pay 150 bucks an hour for somebody to be like, yeah, that sounds awful, Ken. So mm. maybe I just need Eliza. Because, you know, in that kind of therapy, it is a lot of... Um, just repeating what the patient says back to them. Right. And it struck Weizenbaum that this is a very easy task for a computer to do. Like, in fact, that's all it could do in it 1966. Sounds like, it sounds like what you're saying is that you feel really mistreated by your wife and kids. <laughs> that's not what I said at all. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to fool me there. It sounds to me like what you're saying is you'd like out of your marriage. Let me see if, like, is there a, like, I know Eliza is still around. Like, Eliza is built into Emacs. Oh. One of the most powerful line editors. Oh, yeah, there's an online... Here's an online Eliza. Well, let's talk to her. Let's uh, let's have Eliza psychoanalyze uh, you. I know she's not going to talk about snowboarding with stone goss. Okay. Hello, I am Eliza. I'll be your therapist today. What okay. do you, I'll type. What do you want to tell Eliza? Um, I had unreasonable expectations uh, of success applied to me as a child. <laughs> It is nice to be chatting with you. It's not that helpful. Here, try again. All right. Um, uh, I I think I have a fear of failure and success. Do you really think so? <laughs> um, yes. I've heard from many people. I think you were blocking what you really want to say. Whoa, that kind of made you think. It did. Your eyebrows went up. <clears throat> um, uh, I, uh, I, I fear I will never be happy. Okay. Everything makes me miserable. I'm just going to do I fear I'll never be happy. Let's okay. Can you elaborate on that? What was the thing you Everything said? Everything makes me miserable. Everything. Would you say that you have psychological problems? <laughs> Yes. I understand. There's a lot of interactions with the lies, and I remember this as a kid that end with, I see, you know, because she'll ask you a question, and if you just say yes, she'll be like, I see, or I understand, it's, it's a dead end. Right. So, but it seems like if I had no one else to talk to, mm -hmm. that maybe I would continue that conversation and just be like, I, yeah, well. So that's what Weizenbaum found. You know, he was... He was a skeptic about artificial intelligence. He, he wanted to show the superficiality of these kinds of, of responses that, that might crop up in regard to the Turing test and other kinds of AI research. And he was appalled at how people just took to Eliza. Like one of the first people he tried it on was a secretary. And after a few back and forth, she turned and was like, I need you to leave the room. Like she, Eliza and I are having... Yeah, like, like Eliza and I are getting to the, get to the root of some of my problems. Wow. Um, and, he, and, you know, and he thought... And he was mad. You know, he was like, I just wanted to show that you should not be talking. It, it's patently absurd to talk about love and loneliness to a, a, a machine that has no conception of love and loneliness. And in fact, the opposite happened. People but, um, loved Eliza. It, it, sounds like a, it sounds like a psychiatrist that's only half listening to you, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Which is half of them. 
uh, or only half listening, or it sounds like a co a co host of a podcast that's that's looking at the internet while in the middle of your show, like I am right now. Yeah, there are some good like there's some Eliza sample interactions that are a little more rich because like it can do syntactic turn. When I was a kid, one of the things we liked to do is to get it to like turn around syntax in a way that was garbled. We just like to see it look like an idiot. Uh-huh. But like it's very common to say to Eliza, um, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I think my life is at a standstill. And she can turn that around and say, why do you think your life is at a standstill? Sure. You know, like it, she knows to turn my into your, you know, her, her scripts are, are sophisticated enough to do that. Sounds like every second date I've ever been on. But, uh, uh, come on to her. See what she says if you're like, what are you doing later? What are you wearing? Would you prefer if I were not wearing? <sighs> yes, very definitely. Yes, very definitely. Let's both be not wearing. I see. Let's explore that a bit more. This is kind of getting hot. Yeah. Let, let's uh, let's 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 both slip into something more comfortable. I love your typing. It has a very aggressive. I wish I had my keyboard instead of this little laptop one. What does that suggest to you? Oh, what does um, it suggest to you, John? Um. Uh, sweet nighttime interlude. That is an interesting response. Let me make a note of that for next time. Oh, next time. Oh, oh she's given me the Heisman. The uh, the the response we used to get as kids when playing with it when it got up some conversational blind alley and it got confused, it would often say, come, come, elucidate your thoughts. Come, come. Come, come, elucidate your thoughts. And to this day, I will say that in real life if somebody <laughs> just says something nonsensical to me. Come, come, elucidate your thoughts. So after being disappointed by how the public took to Eliza and how took, they- because they Because the public took to Eliza enthusiastically. Yeah, they, they did not see Weizenbaum's point about superficiality. He spent the next, you know, he, he lived till 2008 and he spent the next 40 years of his life as kind of a, 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 a technology Jeremiah, just uh-huh. some prophet in the wilderness- uh, ranting about what it was going to do to our brains that we that we um, believed everything we saw on a screen and that you know that we were prone to treating machines like people. He, you know he he was not wrong. He was he not was wrong. Not wrong. Listen to these quotes. Nineteen seventy. This is his book, Computer Power and Human Reason, which is all kind of doomsaying about what's going to happen if we all keep believing everything just because it's on a computer screen. Right. No playwright, no stage director, no emperor, however powerful, has ever exercised such absolute authority to command such unswervingly dutiful actors or troops. And he was just, this is just him watching programmers. Like there were no end users of computers at this time. Right. He's just watching programmers in the early seventies and thinking these guys will just stare at their screens forever as long as they have one. Right. This is trouble. Um, And then in the same book, this is the really prophetic one that kind of blew my mind. It was in his obituaries. How long will it be before what counts as fact is determined by the system before all other knowledge, all memory is simply declared illegitimate. In other words, you know, even though, it seems like sea levels are rising. This Facebook meme tells me it's all bull. Right. And I choose to believe Eliza, basically. You know, like, he's predicting the effect of social media that we've just seen in the last three years or so. And he saw it coming in 1970. All of history is delegitimized in favor of just whatever is on your screen. The, the picture I'm seeing right now, basically. I have the, I, my first computer was an IBM PC with 64K and two disk drives. 64K was good because you could play all the, the fancy Infocom games. You could. And two disk drives was good because you could copy. Yeah. Um, and also print, right? But um, 
I remember sitting down and typing some, um, you know, erotica and, you know, the erotica. Just on the command line? You didn't even have a word processor? No, I had word star. Syntax error. But uh, what is leather? (laughs) Uh, I was in ninth grade and, and I was like, you know, she walked into the room and seductively, um, changed into a slightly less, uh, winter time jacket is this, or whatever. Is, is this all porn in Alaska? Yeah, it was just like porn. Her, like Her parka was only <laughs> six layers thick. She took her moon boots off and just put on <laughs> regular boots. Uh, and I remember it being really um, uh, exciting in a way that doing it on a typewriter kind of wasn't. But here it was on the screen and it was, it was alive on the screen. It had a... That's how TV broke us, I think. Like we just staring at the screen and getting so happy about the adventures of the screen, it made the glowing computer screen more like reality than a, a piece of paper. Yeah, on a, on paper it would have just felt like oh, this is just something weird that I have to hide now. But on the computer it was, and this was even before you could send something right. to someone. That, was there was no a, cloud; it was sitting in a box in front of you, but it didn't feel that way, right? No, it was like oh yikes! You know what's going to happen next in this story? Is she going to take her? other boots off <laughs> in, in 1984 do you remember in 1984 when apple had that macintosh ad during the super sure. bowl which was big deal know, some orwellian dystopia that gets smashed up by a cool guy who's gonna sell you a mac we don't need no what it wasn't a cool guy it was a it was a lady who threw, oh that's right threw her thing her mallet at the it breaks screen. the giant big brother screen yeah. and uh i guess that drove weisenbaum just over the edge he was like we're implying that the com- a personal computer is going to save us from an or- the personal computer is going to create the Orwellian dystopia. We'll all have the screen in our homes. And yes, uh, yes, yes. Weisenberg. He, he left MIT and went back to Germany and spent the rest of his life living in his childhood neighborhood in Berlin as kind of a mad prophet. Oh, I thought you were going to say he moved into a shipping container in <laughs> Montana and started putting bombs in cigar boxes. Uh, no, uh, that would have been maybe more effective. Uh-huh. It probably would have brought down more of the power structure from within. He'd be more in prison right now <laughs> or had di- died in prison. But, uh, but Eliza lives on, even though Weizenbaum, Weizenbaum died in 2008, maybe mercifully spared from seeing the worst of his predictions about fa- fake news and social control come true. Um, I feel like it'd be very validating as an old person. Well, yeah. And, but I mean, how would you, what's your new take on it? Right. When it comes to pass. Yeah. How do you have, yep. I mean, well, but that's the <laughs> Here's thing. Here's my follow up like, book. Yep. You've been, you've been predicting that the sky is falling, falling, but you've got to have, you've got to have, what was his antidote? Right. It really just ices his failure. If people had listened, maybe things would have gone differently. Like it right. really, it really just sums up the fact that his life's work. Uh, was thwarted because the awful future he predicted did come to pass. Um, but Eliza's still around. It's still uh, built into text editors and operating systems, and you could you could tell Eliza your problems online. I'm sure in the future it's still there. If you have access to whatever your global information network is, uh, you can still tell your problems to Eliza and and all its successors. I mean, Siri and Alexa and uh, and OK Google and and all these little helpful voices are, you know, their attempts at a utopia, their attempt to make yeah. the Star Trek computer that always just gives you the information you need in the perfectly helpful way and you never feel alone. Um, but in fact, I mean, both on when it comes to 
surveillance or, uh, you know, just the misery that comes with having all the information available to you on any number of, of vectors, um, Eliza and its, and its descendants have probably contributed to a lot of dystopian things about our time. I'm actually, I've got Eliza up here and <clears throat> I'm going to ask you if you could leave, uh, Eliza and I have a little thing going. What's going on over there? Oh, we're just talking about my feelings. And that concludes Eliza, entry 404.LK0247, certificate number 36441 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, it will probably have an overwhelming intelligence and an ingratiating manner. It's probably listening to our show right now and it's very angry at you for listening to it. It may be that social media still exists in your era in our voices. We've considered this before, and that's how you know us. That's how you found our show in the first place. Or there is no show. Your whole life is the show. You need to decide whether your uh, Eliza descendant talks to you as John or Ken, because those are the only two kinds of technology that exist in the future. You know, it might be that uh, that people in the future have a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel on the other. And if they prefer talking to Ken, there's always a John that's like, nah, that's not how it goes. And vice versa. I feel like the shoulder is an interesting place for an Alexa type interface, right? Yeah. Like a little Princess Leia hologram that goes (laughs) out of an epaulette and tells you, hey, you should probably turn left here. And the other shoulder is like, "Ah, it'll be much quicker if you speed and take the interstate. Yeah. The little voice is like, try drugs, try drugs. One in each ear, actually. Don't do drugs. You, you don't drugs have, are bad. You don't need the shoulder hologram. You just need one in each earbud. Like, the fact that we have one authority talking in our heads, Alexa or whatever, is prone to abuse. Yes. It makes us think that that we have some kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's an authoritarian figure. But if there were two offering different options at all times... You know, we'd be schizophrenic, but at least we'd be free thinkers. The thing is that in the future, everyone is going to wear a daft punk helmet. And so you're going to have headphones on anyway. And maybe the two the two things in your on your shoulders, the two characters, show up in a heads-up display. They look like daft punk, but they speak in our voices. They look like Woody and Buzz, but they sound like daft punk. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why you'd want that. Uh, anyway, we hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come, or that it comes soon, and Ken and I get residuals from having our voices and likenesses used as the AI good guy, bad guy. Don't do the worst come soon thing. You didn't do all the social media stuff yet. Oh, right. Um, go to... Oh, sorry. That's uh, that's a whole different part. I, 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 I got channeled into a different script on this bot. Go to Facebook, Twitter, and come, Instagram. Come, come, John. Elucidate your thoughts. I have noticed uh, lately that people uh, who follow us on the internet have been giving me extra praise because I consistently complain about how much more popular you are on social media. And so I've been getting all these tweets that are like, well, I would normally have faved Ken, but I prefer John. And it just feels like really... You're getting sympathy likes on Twitter. I am. I'm getting sympathy likes. And that's not what I wanted. What I wanted was for you to be destroyed. Think how hard my life is. Do you know how much of my own personal fan mail I had to go through just now just to find the omnibus stuff? It's hard. There's a lot. I have extra workflow that you don't even have to think about. You have become insufferable, and <laughs> become. there's and really, really, there's no one that can stop you. I can't stop you. No one can suffer me. No one can stop you except Mindy. Uh, Mindy, if you're listening, 
We're counting on you. You're our only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Please address your emails to us in uh, uh, at the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Uh, go to the Futurelings Facebook page and Discord and Reddit, where people are partying down. You can send us mail, and Ken has a big stack of it that he had to sort through <laughs> to take out all of the sports betting. Do you remember when you were, you when you said that uh, you know your high school erotica on a piece of paper would not have had the authority? I mean, a lot of it is because of typewriter fonts. Oh, look at that! We Someone just, type wrote us a letter. We just got a note from the Darbies on a beautiful old typewriter on a beautiful. Um, kind of uh, woven piece of parchment paper. Mm-hmm. But, it really, but it really does show you how typewritten, type how unauthoritative typewritten stuff looked back then compared to typeset material. Yeah. Nothing about this looks like a book, but it's charming. He, it is charming. The Darby sent us two things. One, a gas station map of Washington, D.C. from the mid-60s. Nice, I like it. I love free gas station maps. Um, but also, this I didn't know this existed. I just, this is funny, I was just reading about this this week. I dare you the 1931 William H. Danforth self-help book um, from the chairman of the Ralston Purina Company. Huh. In fact, today the checkerboard logo. I was looking up Purina the other day to find out if it the name refers to the amino acid purine because one of my kids asked me this. Sure, that comes up every once in a while. You know how that. Yeah, you, yeah. How do you answer when a kid wants to know something like that? You put all your eggs in one basket. I, <laughs> I stalled them for a second and then I Googled. Uh, no, it is not related to Purine. But uh, the checkerboard logo actually refers to the personal self-help philosophy of Chairman William Danforth in his book, I Dare You. Huh. Uh, now, wait a minute. You're saying that a guy in corporate life would think that he had the answers to every, other people's problems? Everything went right for him, John. Huh. This is why you cannot tax dog food millionaires. Right. Because then they won't have time to write, I dare you to develop a magnetic personality, chapter 10. Dare accepted. I dare you to do things. I dare you to adventure. I really like no dog food executive has ever talked to me in quite this way. I feel no. very, um, I feel vulnerable and yeah. loved. Well, I mean, uh, have you ever tried to win friends and influence people? <laughs> I'm not going to read that book. I like its less successful competitor. I dare you. Thank you to Matthew and Christy for, for sending us dog food adjacent uh, inspirational material. That's good stuff. Uh, so you can send those things to us at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. And uh, if you've listened all the way through to the very end here, we're going to pitch to you our Patreon, which helps support the show. and um, which Because if you listened this far, you're really one of the people who should be donating. Why are you still listening to this? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it's that you love us or that you have fallen asleep and we're still talking in the background as you blissfully snore away. The, you know what you could do then is plant a post-hypnotic suggestion. All right. When you awake, you will rise, tanned and rested. You will walk to your computer. You will type patreon.com slash, slash omnibus project. Slash omnibus? Slash omnibus project. Okay. And you will take the, out your credit card and pledge an uncomfortable amount, twice your rent, <laughs> every every month you will donate between twenty and two thousand dollars to the Omnibus Project. Take a sensible amount and add a zero. What do you got over there? Oh, I'm just opening more mail. Oh. I'll Are do it. Good. I'll do it next time. Okay. There's a lot of mail, listeners. From our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that our AI masters, our Turing test. Uh, Passing AI masters will never enslave us. 
But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs> <laughs>